Have you ever noticed how when we're faced with something that sounds like a distinction between right and wrong, we all seem to do one of three things, or at least I think I do. Either I, one, calculate that I'm right and not wrong, and therefore I can put a tick next to this one and forget about it, or more likely subtly let everybody know that I've nailed it. Or two, I find some way of categorizing this rule, which means that it doesn't really apply to me. Or perhaps three, I try to discredit the source. What they say is absolutely pointless because they have no credibility. Well, last week, Charles spoke about Jesus' take on you shall not murder. And this week, we'll be exploring what Jesus says about adultery. I know what you're thinking. It's been a cheery few weeks, but this stuff is important. It's all stuff that Jesus spoke about in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And it's considered important by Jesus as well as by people around the world when you think about it. So we should probably give it some time. You shall not murder seems like a pretty low bar, if we're honest. Now, Jesus ups the ante and he says that we shouldn't even be trash talking people, being judgmental and insulting about them, because that comes from the same heart attitude. It's just a symptom, a different symptom of the same problem. If you haven't seen Charles's talk from last week, then go ahead and watch it here on YouTube or listen to the podcast. Now, I'm going to read from the next section of Jesus' sermon. Uh, and this can be found in the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. Here we go. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart with her. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Sex. It can be pretty awkward to talk about at the best of times, but I find that all the cultural baggage around the church and historical mistakes the Bible, well, that can make talking about sex in Christian circles the most awkward of all. You can imagine my sense of feigned excitement then when I saw that my name was next to this passage on the preaching list. It'd be a whole lot easier if I could just stick this rule into category one or two or three that I mentioned at the start. In general, my temptation is probably to stick this topic smugly into box number one. I can read the passage and, and even though Jesus spends most of the time telling me that simply not committing adultery is not the high standard that he deserves. I still hear my inner monologue saying, you shall not commit adultery. Tick. Now, when box one fails me, I... I turn to box number two. This doesn't apply to me. 
Jesus must be talking to all the perverts and sex-depraved maniacs out there, not me. But what does looking at a woman lustfully actually mean? I remember as a Christian teenager, I went to see my youth leader about this stuff. I said, you know, where's the line? What counts as wrong? And what can I just about get away with? He talked to me about what gets called the second look principle. It, it's okay to look once and to recognize an attraction, but to look again and entertain that attraction, that is where the line is. Now, this wasn't an unhelpful boundary for me as a teenager. Whether it was effective or not is another question. But perhaps it doesn't really address the problem. See, the problem is that lust takes where love always gives. Lust is all about me, where love is always all about the other. We classify adultery as having sex outside of the marriage that we're in. But I don't want to get hung up on exactly what does and doesn't classify, especially when Jesus is so clear that the bar is so much higher. A key aspect of it is the betrayal of trust and the breaking of a promise, a covenant to forsake all others in favour of a husband or wife. I wonder when we hold ourselves to that standard, when we look at the root heart attitude behind it, whether we really do come out as favourably as perhaps we think. What if I extend this simply beyond sex and think of the ways that we might desire others, the other ways that we might desire them? And perhaps they are rich, perhaps they're really kind, or an excellent cook, or, or maybe um, they're artistic or creative. Perhaps they're super tidy and organised. Now, none of those are bad things, okay? It's also worth noting here that whilst this passage and much of the Bible seems to be addressing a male reader, that's largely due to the cultural and historical context, the setting of the time of writing. It doesn't mean that this is not relevant to women. In this case, men are addressed partly because of the imbalance of power around sex and marriage in the cultural dynamic at the time. But that's a whole other talk. The point is, at the level that Jesus is talking about desire, about our heart attitudes. Well, this is something that we all need to engage with. You may have noticed that I haven't yet mentioned box number three discrediting the source. This is a really simple one. Jesus said this stuff and it's recorded in the Bible. So for Christians, we can't ignore it. If you're not sure how credible Jesus is, or you don't know how reliable the Bible is, or, or maybe you just don't know whether this stuff is even relevant today. Well, we would love to talk to you more about it. Alpha is a great way of finding out more about Christianity and about who and what Jesus might mean to you. To find out more about Alpha and how BNA is running that, do head to our website, babristol.org slash alpha to find out more. 
We can all agree that relationship breakdown, family breakdown, and selfishness, looking to sort ourselves out all the time rather than to give. These are all things that damage the way we live, whether we're Christians or not. Lust takes where love always gives. Lust is always all about me, where love is always all about the other. Lust is perhaps a human approach, whereas love, well, love is God. God is love. So what do we do about this problem? Well, that's hard, but pretty simple. Jesus offers a deliberately exaggerated solution. Nevertheless, it's one that works. Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. That's pretty extreme, but actually removing the opportunity to sin, removing the opportunity to do the thing you don't want to do, that's a pretty smart move. This is going to look very different for all of us, depending on how this plays out in your life. And we're going to need help. We're going to need help from God. We're going to need help from our friends and our family. And that all means that the first step will be acknowledging that there might be an issue. Working out what that might be and sharing it with somebody. If you're married, go on a marriage course. BNA runs a great one. Be in touch with us to find out more about it. It doesn't mean that your marriage is on the rocks or you're about to fall apart. Actually, it just means that you're valuing that relationship. If you're not married or really anyone, be accountable to a trusted friend. Tell them what is going on in your heart and meet regularly to talk about that. Pray together, share the burden and seek to change your heart attitude. But practically, try to remove yourself from the situations or modify the situations where you find your heart doesn't have the right attitude. Jesus forgives all of us for anything and anything and everything that we have or will ever do. doesn't mean that we don't need to change. Let's not get hung up on feeling guilty, but let's honour the grace and forgiveness that God gives us by making a change. Let's realign our hearts to God's desires, not whatever I want, whenever I want it. So as we ponder this, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit in to be present wherever you are. You might want to hold out your hand just as a sign to you and the Holy Spirit, as a way of exampling that the Holy Spirit's welcome with you. Let's bring our brokenness to God and, and receive the forgiveness and healing that he brings. But let's also take action. Allow the Holy Spirit to show us where we need to stop, where we need to invite change, where we're not as good as we think we are, Come, Holy Spirit. Please also don't 
leave this here now. The things that you say to God and the things that God say to you are private. But don't leave it that way. Share it with a trusted friend. The best way to bring light into dark situations is to shine light in them, to open them up to others. I'm going to pray. Lord, would you speak into our hearts? I pray that you would change our desires to your desires. Would you give us the presence of mind to know where we need to remove ourselves from a situation? Would you give us the courage to tell our loved ones when we want to change? Would we be able to fight shame with grace? 